0: Hi, welcome to What are the Tax Implications? I'm Ron Scott. I'm Jeff Rosenthal. We are your first call tax advocates here, once again, to help increase your financial and tax knowledge. In this episode, recorded April 28, 2020, we discussed required minimum distributions under the SECURE Act and the CARES Act. We also discussed the tax implications of inheritances, both income in respect to a decedent and other capital assets. We also discussed when an employer reimburses an employee for expenses incurred so that they may work from home. And lastly, we had a conversation on chaos. All of these acronyms out there today with regard to stimulus relief, eip eidl etc
1: whether you're the ceo of your household or of your business questions constantly arise regarding the tax consequences of your financial circumstance first call tax advocates is always here to answer your questions and offer educational background regarding the potential tax implications of your action ron and jeff are your first responders they are board-certified financial and tax professionals with over 60 years of experience. Please visit their website, FirstCallTaxAdvocates.com. That's FirstCallTaxAdvocates.com. Learn more about them, explore their resources, and leave a review of your experience. For more urgent matters, please call them toll-free at 833-568-8999. That's 833 833- 5688999 nine, nine. The topics and responses discussed
0: here are intended for general education. Our discussions are not intended to give you advice on your specific situation. We would advise you to seek advice from a competent and licensed professional. Tax law is always evolving, and our discussions are based on the law existing to date.
2: Question number one, uh, we have Bernie from Bullshead, who just had a birthday, March 1st, 1950. He's uh, now age 70 and a half. Uh, Ron, he heard something about something that he must do with his retirement money at age 70. Well, what is it? What is required? What are the tax implications?
0: Great uh, great question, Bernie, and happy birthday. So you turned 70 just a few months ago. Uh, you read up on a uh, potential need to take action when you turn 70, you actually have a, you actually have a little time. When you turn age 70 and a half, which will occur September 1st, 2020, you'll then you will then have been triggered to take action. By April 1st, 2021, the old rule was you needed to take your first required minimum distribution by April 1st in the year after you turned 70 and a half. So that was the old rule. We have a new rule, and that new rule came about because of the SECURE Act that was enacted in December of, 20, of 2019 to start January 1st, 2020. What was the new rule? The new rule says the April 1st after you turn 72. That means the April 1st in the year after you turn 72 is when you are required to take your first minimum distribution. So what does that mean for you, Bernie? Based on the new rules, you don't have to do anything this year. You don't have to do anything next year. You turned seventy-two on March first, twenty twenty-two. Therefore, by April first of twenty twenty-three is when you'll need to take the next uh, your your required minimum distribution.
2: Hey Ron, what about what about the pandemic crisis? What about what about that? Has that changed anything? Uh, yes, it has, Bernie. Because of the
0: stress on many taxpayers and retirees, really, at this point, the government has allowed for some relief. Okay, this uh, 2020 RMD relief is part of the CARES Act, and. What it does is it gives relief for anyone who actually owes a required minimum distribution. So anyone turning 72, I guess, let's see how it would work. So anybody who was due to pay an RMD, regardless of the rule they're following, doesn't have to pay. What do I mean by that? Um, Well, if you're in your 70s already and you have been paying required minimum distributions, you do not have to pay them this year. So what are the tax implications? Well, if you don't have to receive the money and therefore be taxed on the money, you are able to leave the money in its investment to cook another year. Now, if you need the money, you should take the money. You may be living off that money. So it's important that you continue to take that distribution, but you do not have to take the distribution, Bernie.
2: And when you say pay, you're really meaning taking money and you're paying to yourself. Sorry. That's right. Thanks, Jeff. Um,
0: Paying, you know, it's funny. It gets very, very confusing with uh, all the terminology today. Pay, receive, distribute, uh, grant, loan. Yes, yes. Uh, If you are to pay yourself your required minimum distribution, um, you would then be subject to taxation, but you do not have to this year because of the CARES Act 2020 RMD relief.
2: So just to summarize, we had the old rules that were superseded by the SECURE Act, and then the SECURE Act was changed because of the pandemic to the CARES Act, so... Yes, I turned 70 and a half, but I don't have to do anything till I'm 72. But even if I was 72 and didn't take any money, I'm now um, allowed to not take any money for 2020. Boy, this is confusing.
0: Yeah, I I hear you. I feel your pain. Uh, In the event that you do have a question, though, give us a call. First call Tax Advocates. Our next question came as a phone call to me from Joe from Rockland County. Joe shared that his father has recently passed away. Joe's question had to do with how to handle the, uh, the two variable annuity IRAs that Joe's dad had. Joe and his brothers were named as beneficiaries and he had questions about what are the tax implications? Jeff, a variable annuity IRA paid out to a beneficiary. What are the tax implications?
2: Well, it's interesting. Rather than do Q&A, Ron, why don't we both jump in here and have just a conversation about this? And, and we'll also talk about non-retirement inheritances as well. Uh, well, generally, when you receive money in an inheritance, specifically an IRA, you are required to take the distribution. And if there are no um, options available for you to delay that distribution, that distribution is taxable. So it's income
0: in respect to a decedent when a beneficiary receives money in the form of, uh, you know, from a qualified plan or an IRA from the decedent. The rules specifically about um, who can receive what, over what time frame, We'll discuss, you know, in another show, and that has to do has to do with the changes because of the Secure Act. But generally, any money that's received, you know, by a beneficiary from an owner of a contract like a qualified plan or an annuity or an IRA, that will be taxable to the recipient.
2: That is uh, that's correct. And what about non? IRA, non-retirement proceeds, bank accounts, other investments, how how are they treated generally? What do you think? So generally, anything received that
0: is not income in respect to a decedent will not be taxed to the recipient. So you mentioned bank account. Uh, so if a, a bank account is owned by one person, the way for that to be payable to a An heir or a legatee would be through the will or through the intestacy process. Now, let's define intestacy. Intestacy means dying without a valid will. And that means you have to go to probate court and go through the probate process. So, a person, so that bank account will eventually go to the
2: intended heir through probate tax free. So, generally, probate would require an attorney if I'm not capable of doing that on my own.
0: That's true, Jeff. If you if you can't do it on your own, you may need the assistance of, and it doesn't have to be an attorney. You can use another advocate or advisor to help you unless you have a complex estate. Now, let me follow up uh deeper on an answer to your question for a non-IRA qualified plan, a uh, non-qualified inheritance. What about a stock portfolio or a securities portfolio or even real estate? Jeff, what are the tax implications of a capital asset transferring because of the owner dying? Oh, that's a good
2: question. Well, we have some bizarre concept that's been around for a lot of years called step up in basis. Now, ordinarily, when you sell something, it's whatever the cost of that versus the current sales price. But in the case of an inheritance, you're allowed to step up to inc- artificially increase the cost basis by the value at the time of death or in some other bizarre concept called the alternate value six months later. Um But it's an administrative way of saying the house that your parents bought 30 years ago, 40 years ago, you're not picking up the cost of what it was 30 or 40 years ago. You're picking up the cost on the day of death. So
0: the step up in basis creates an opportunity for the person inheriting the asset to not have any income tax issues if they immediately sold that asset they would be free and clear of any capital gains tax. Is that what I heard, Jeff? That is exactly what you heard. That is correct. What about an asset like, let's say, held by a trust? If the asset was held by a trust and it is to be distributed after the death of somebody, what are the tax implications?
2: Well, generally speaking, that money is tax-free uh you receive that money free of taxation it's not a retirement product and you're receiving the net assets of an inheritance tax-free wow so it sounds like
0: generally other than if it were income in respect to a decedent being income that was never taxed inheritances are tax-free but one other thing to add, what What about the titling of assets? Um, I know that, that my uh, joint assets with my wife, for instance, our home and our bank account, uh, they are jointly owned. Um, what are the tax implications on
2: jointly owned assets? Well- That's a great, great question, Uh, and it slightly varies state to state, but generally speaking, joint tenants' right of survivorship is how joint tenants are, and if your assets were jointly owned between your husband and your wife and one of them dies, the survivor would receive the property free and clear of taxation and would become the sole owner. So
0: there would be no taxation... There would be a transfer of ownership, and hmm, it sounds like, for the most part, this enormous amount of unfortunate wealth transfer that's going to be taking place in 2020 due to the deaths associated with the coronavirus will not lead to an enormous amount of income taxation uh, unless, of course, it is income in respect to a decedent. Be sure to speak with a competent advisor regarding probate, beneficiary claims, and estate administration.
1: Remember, the First Call Tax Advocates, Ron and Jeff, are your first responders. Board-certified professionals over 60 years of experience. Visit their website, FirstCallTaxAdvocates.com. That's FirstCallTaxAdvocates.com. Learn more, explore, and leave a review. For more urgent matters, call them toll-free at 568-8999. That's 568-8999. And for you subscribers, we offer a complimentary consultation to discuss your tax matter. Our
0: next question comes from Susan from Staten Island. I'm able to work from home during this crisis. My employer has allowed me to do so while I homeschool my children. He wants me to be just as productive or as productive as I can be given the circumstances. And unfortunately, my at-home equipment, my technology, not really that good. So I went out and I bought a new laptop, I upgraded my internet connection, and I'm able to be as productive as I am in the office. I submitted the bill to my employer, and he sent me a reimbursement check. But what are the tax implications?
2: Great question, Sue. We had a revision of an old law, right after the seven, September 11th disaster. Um, and they refurbished this gifting for disaster relief payments, this reimbursement for disaster relief payments. And it's a very small section of law, but basically it says that any expense that you incurred, if you submitted it from the, your job, your employer will reimburse you. He gets a deduction for it and it is not taxable to you, I repeat, it is not taxable to you. And it not only takes into account your job, direct expenses, your new computer, a faster internet, but uh, indirect expenses. You may need an iPad for your kids to homeschool while you're working and you need that faster uh, internet or larger bandwidth to accommodate your child learning and you doing your job uh, and anything. Maybe you need a new desk. Maybe you need some new office furniture. Uh, it's not a bonus and it doesn't replace your wages. But, um, The actual general rule says gross income shall not include any amount received by an individual as a qualified disaster relief payment. That's great to hear.
0: But am I able to deduct
2: my payment off of my tax return? No, I mean, if you're receiving a gift and it's tax free, you don't get any any deduction for your expenses. They've already been reimbursed, Uh, and uh, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act has basically eliminated, at least for the short term, uh, uh, employee business expenses. Will they return? Who knows? And a last question: If I'm able to
0: stream netflix or uh, prime video uh, because i have upgraded equipment you think there'll be an a tax implication because it's now
2: personal use That's a really good question. I don't think so because you needed the faster bandwidth to allow for the homeschooling and for you to do your job. So I would personally consider that ancillary and not germane to the question. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Ron. Welcome to our
0: bonus feature, Conversation About Chaos. Today, Jeff and I will have a conversation about the alphabet soup of the government stimulus relief that we've all heard and read and just shook our heads at wondering, you know, what what does this all mean? What do these letters mean? So today we'll be discussing EIP, EIDL, PPP, not PPE, and UI. So let's first start with EIP. Jeff,
2: what is EIP? EIP in its most simplest terms are the economic impact payment or stimulus or recovery rebate. Um, It applies to most people. Uh, It is money that the government is giving, uh, $1,200 per person and $500 for a dependent child, uh, unless you are phased out because of your income. And it's designed very clearly to stimulate the economy. So EIP,
0: economic impact payment. We talked on our last show about the tax implications. But let me tell you about my, my experience with uh, trying to get my EIP, Uh, For the last couple of weeks, I have followed the instructions since April 15th of going to the Get My Payments website. It's part of irs.gov. So each day, maybe multiple times per day, I went to the Get My Payments website and entered my social security number, my date of birth, my street address, and my zip code. And each time I was told, Uh, Payment information not available, which was a little frustrating, a little confusing. When people are told, um, we can't uh, tell you today if you are eligible, uh, call us back or or visit us tomorrow. Uh, You know what? That doesn't make people feel feel comfortable. But finally, yesterday, so I started April 15th, yesterday was um, April 27th. I was able to get through to a next page on my Get My Payments page. I was able to enter more information, the adjusted gross income from my 2018 return, because I haven't filed yet my 2019. So I put in my adjusted gross income in, from my 2018 return, along with the amount that I was either refunded or owed. And I entered those two numbers. It validated, the system validated my prior return. I entered my banking information and I was told, um, we will let you know when your payment is coming. It will be direct deposited into my bank account. Let me tell you, Jeff, I kind of felt good about that. I felt a little bit of comfort that I'm going to be receiving Uh, Well, it's my wife and I, so we'll be receiving $2,400 sometime in the future. I'm looking forward to my EIP.
2: That's excellent, and I like the fact that The information isn't easily available, that you have to validate your identity so that they're not giving out your personal information to just anybody. And uh, so, yes, you need that information to trigger the response to the question, and There's a lot of confusion as to why why that information is necessary. I've gotten three phone calls this morning from people confused about it. Where do I apply? How do I apply? What do I do? And the purpose of this section is to talk about the confusion, the chaos, and the process, or at least the process as we understand it today. Our next set of
0: alphabet soup. Ready for this one, Jeff?
2: E-I-D-L. E-I-D-L. What does that stand for? The Emergency Impact Disaster Loan um, comes with its own series of questions and chaos. Um, It was originally believed that if you had a business that was impacted by the pandemic, that you were going to get a one-time payment of ten thousand dollars that would be forgiven if you rehired your employees, um, and what we came to learn was that we were all wrong. It wasn't a flat ten thousand dollars.
0: It wasn't. It wasn't a flat
2: ten thousand. Then what was it? Well. So what what we were then told was it was $1,000 for each employee, including the owner.
0: So if you had a sole proprietor where there was only one employee,
2: how much would they get? Well, the way we were told is $1,000. Hmm.
0: That doesn't seem like... Uh... It can help if there is economic impact.
2: Well, that's true. And just yesterday, um, members of the House and the members of the Senate wrote the Treasury Secretary a strongly worded letter disagreeing with the method and manner in which it was paid because the intent of – what they thought they had passed was that, it, in fact, it was a $10,000 flat payment. So now we have confusion inside the government, confusion amongst the tax and accounting people, and confusion against the uh, small business owners. So basically, stay tuned. So the
0: L at the end of E-I-D-L maybe should be
2: changed to a P? Well, it's a loan loan. If you don't follow the rules, you will have to pay it back. Uh, if you do follow the rules, it'll be forgiven. So it is. it starts out as a loan and will morph into a grant if you rehire the people by June, according to the current guidelines, uh, The the loan will be forgiven. So that's the confusion. What is it? so stay tuned for an episode in the future when the
0: chaos gets worse okay i have another set of letters for you jeff okay now it's not i'm going to say this clearly p p p not p p e we've heard p p e a lot so let's quickly define p p e
2: PPE is the personal protection equipment that you need to shield yourself, to insulate yourself from the virus or people spreading the virus. Okay. So that
0: has to do with personal protection equipment, PPE. Okay. So let's go to PPP. I've heard that a lot with regard to uh, economic relief and stimulus. What does PPP stand for?
2: That is the Payroll Protection Program, not to be confused with the Identity Protection Program. Uh, and we're giving that to um, encourage employers to keep their their staff on payroll, not collecting unemployment and that money also has rules. Um, and if the rules are followed that that personal protection payment program will be forgiven. it'll be turned into a grant and it will be tax free.
0: So these loan programs can end up uh, forgiven. What are the tax implications of this debt for? Is it debt forgiveness or is it a loan turned into a grant?
2: Well, a great question. Um, They didn't clarify it, but what they specifically wrote in the law is that it's not considered taxable income. So it is really considered a grant. Uh, after a loan, a loan first and then into a grant. But it is specifically written into the law that it is tax-free.
0: That's that's what we know today, Jeff, right? That's what we know today, or is it...
2: And that's the point. <laughs> the point is we know what they intended to do. We know what they thought they did. And now there's mass confusion to what did they actually do with the CARES Act.
0: Okay, so... Um- Let's just close out this segment briefly on UI, which is unemployment insurance. We discussed this in our last episode, unemployment insurance for, um, for (laughs) ex-workers, ex-employees. What do we know today about unemployment insurance? What has changed since we've had this pandemic?
2: Well, so we have the regular state unemployment insurance. We have the extra pandemic disaster portion, the extra $600 a week from the federal government. Uh, and we also have learned how inadequate the states were prepared with their computer systems to handle of the workforce not working and their computers are vastly out of date. It's taking them a long time to get everybody on board and people are waiting sometimes patiently and more often than not impatiently. When am I getting my money? I hope you learned a little bit from this session
0: on, uh, conversations and chaos, um, When we have reason to bring you more discussion on topics that are just so chaotic, uh, um, stay tuned. We'll be bringing them to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. You probably have additional questions, don't you? We are your first call. Remember, everyone's situation is unique, but we should be your first call. We are your first responders. The
2: 911 operator doesn't call you. Please call us toll-free at 833-568-8999. Again, 833-568-8999. And visit our website at firstcalltaxadvocates.com. We'd love to know what you've learned today. So
0: please leave a review on our website. We have attempted to appeal to a broad audience, but we want to help everyone if we can. In our next episode, we'll be discussing, I can't pay my tax liability by the due date. What are the tax implications? And I received a letter from the IRS and I don't understand it. And lastly, why do I have to pay estimated taxes if I'm going to pay my full liability on my tax return due date?